Hey, let's take a little quiz. Um, we're studying what these days? Ten Commandments. If I, yeah, we're studying, that could go anywhere, couldn't it? God, the Bible, the Ten Commandments. Okay, let's be a little more specific. Where do we find the Ten Commandments? Anybody know? Exodus, very good. What chapter in Exodus do we find the Ten Commandments? 20. Parley, is it hot in here? Is it? Okay, would one of the guys, Kyle's going to check on that for us. Now comes the part in the service where we just run you out of here with cold air. How's that? No, we won't do that. We won't do that. Chapter 20 is exactly right. So if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 20, and uh, there you will find the Ten Commandments. We're discovering that the Ten Commandments were not given as a condition of relationship, but that they were given as a confirmation of relationship. In other words, God said, I'm not going to give these to you uh, to make you my children. I'm going to give these to you because you are my children. For the same reason that, that uh, you know, I make rules for my kids because they're my kids. I don't make rules for your kids. You make the rules for your kids, and the rules we have for our children in many cases are different. Sometimes they're the same, but a lot of times those rules are different. And, and what we know about the Ten Commandments is that they were given to a people that God cared deeply about, and he, they were given also for us, and he cares deeply about us as well. And they were given for the same reason that you and I give commandments and give rules to our kids. I have a bedtime for my kids. Now, I don't have a bedtime for my kids because I'm trying to be the killjoy in my house and say, okay, now you've got to go to bed. I know you'd love to watch this movie, but I don't want you to watch that. You're going to bed. The reason that we have bedtime is because we know that our kids need a good night's rest before they get up and go to school. We want them to be awake all day. We want them to be able to learn. So we have a bedtime for our kids. My mother <laughs> used to, my curfew as a high schooler was, was midnight on the weekends. Now, I didn't. Uh, I really didn't go out a whole lot through the week, so it really didn't apply then. But uh, when when I would go on dates, or if I w- I worked, and if and I was not allowed to stay out past midnight, my mother's whole rationale was, Brett, the only thing that's open after midnight can only get you in trouble. So you need to be home by then, and and that's probably a rule that I'll institute in my house as well because that's a pretty good rule because darkness things happen, don't they? Yeah, especially after midnight. But these people belong to God, and they belong to God because of the faith that they had showed while they were still captive in Egypt. Now, if you remember that, we talked about that at the beginning, that, that these people demonstrated that they had a trust in God because they took uh, the blood from some animal that they had slaughtered, and God said, I want you to put that on the doorpost of your home, uh, and, and uh, that way I'm going to know that you've placed your faith in me. And that's exactly what happened. And as a result of that, these people entered into relationship with God. Now, what has happened for them in terms of, of them being able to, to be known as a people who trusted God, we do it differently now. We don't place our trust in the blood of an animal or in the blood of a goat or a lamb placed over the doorpost. We place our trust in the blood that flowed from the cross from Jesus Christ. That's what makes us uh, one who is in relationship with God. And so God says, because you're mine, because you matter to me, and because I care about your marriages, I have things to say about marriage. Because I care about your kids, I have things to say about kids. Because I care about how you represent yourself and represent me at work, I have things to say about how you do all that stuff. Because I care about your relationships, I have some things to tell you about how to make relationships work in your life. And so God has an awful lot to say to us because we are his. And, uh, and it's, it's just full of, of instruction. And really, in a lot of ways, God coaches us through life, through uh, the scriptures. 
Now, as we made our way through the Ten Commandments, we, we still haven't gotten to the ones that everybody seems to go to first. If you start, you know, having this conversation with people and you say, okay, what are the Ten Commandments? You always get thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal. And here we are four weeks into this five-week series, and we haven't even touched thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal. In fact, a very good friend of mine last week was asking me, Brett, when do we get to those? I mean, you're running out of, you're, their thing was, you know, don't you need a 10-week series to do the Ten Commandments? Well, the, the fact of the matter is we really don't. Um, but even today, we're not going to get to thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal. The first thing God said is, I want to be your only God. That's first and foremost. I, I want to be the only God that you have. Second thing he said was, I don't want you to try and make an image that reflects me. Because you'll trivialize me, you'll, you'll boil me down to something that I don't want to be boiled down to. You'll make me small, and, and let's just face it, you can't make something that's as big as me, so don't even try. And then last week, we talked about the idea that God does not want us to misuse his name. We talked about the whole idea of taking God's name in vain, and how probably most of us, for most of our lives, we have not understood that commandment. And, and we've made it, you know, don't use God's name as a cuss word. Now, that's a pretty good rule. That's a rule in my house, you know, but that's not what that commandment is necessarily saying. And we kind of looked at that last week, how you can misuse God's name. And it kind of takes, we, we kind of boiled it down to last week, is it possible that that commandment comes down to don't um, institute religion in my name? And uh, I think that's a pretty good way to look at it. Um, and, and the one we come to today uh, is a little different. You know, it's it's something practical. It's something that um, you know, the other ones you may not have understood. I mean, when we go through some of those and, and we've tried to make application, you may have said to yourself, you know, I'm trying to track with Brett on that, but some of that's still a little fuzzy for me. The one we're going to talk about today, I don't think is going to be very fuzzy at all. I think it'll be crystal clear. The problem is we just don't like doing it. The problem is we just don't, we, we, we hear it and we say, yeah, that's nice. What's next? In fact, um, it would be real easy for you. Some people wonder why this is even in the Ten Commandments. In fact, some people would say, shouldn't that have maybe been at the end? This is number four. And so you would say God has in some way prioritized the commands, and, and this becomes number four. Some people would say, Brett, I don't get that. We, we can move right on by this one as if, as if it isn't even there. You, you could... You know, the, the, the other commandments, you can do those, and chances are good that if you've broken one of the other commandments, whatever it is, whether you've stolen or coveted or committed adultery or, or you've, you've you know, hopefully nobody's killed anybody in here, but if you have, hopefully you felt, hopefully you felt bad about it, okay? You felt guilty if you did that. Um, when we do those other commandments, we break one of those, we feel guilty about those. Most of us, I mean, if we have a conscience and the Spirit's in us, we, we feel guilty about those. But this one... Um, you probably don't do very well, and I doubt seriously if you have really had a whole lot of guilt about it either. Um, and while the other commandments are fairly short, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, shalt not covet, this one um, has more words and more explanation than any of the other commandments. And, 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 and so are you ready to find out what it is? Today, the, the fourth commandment, you're saying, okay, what would be so important that it would be the fourth commandment to God? Thou shalt take a day off. You're going great. Now, you have to, deci- you have to, to love a God who decides to prioritize thou shalt take a day off over thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, or thou shalt not kill. I mean, if you've only got 10 
you would, you would imagine that you've got some pretty important stuff to write down if you're going to get 10. Okay, God, you got 10 to give us. Thou shalt take a day off is going to be number four. I mean, you're going to prioritize that in, in that way and at that level. Um, you would kind of put that in, at the end if you included it at all, you would think, you know, that it would be an afterthought. You know, don't do these things and don't do these things and oh, by the way, take a day off. But that's really not how it happens. This is number four. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now, uh, the first thing I have to tell you is as I've kind of been getting ready for this one this week, I've learned a lot about, I learn a lot every week. Nobody learns more than the preacher. And, and this has been very helpful for me to understand some things, and I hope it's gonna be helpful for you as well. But if you think about this commandment and you think well that sounds a little strange to me you know and it sounds a little threatening maybe to you that that uh, you're sitting there and you're thinking okay Brett don't end this sermon by telling me that you want me to take a day off because it's just not in the cards it's not going to work you don't know my life you don't know my schedule you don't know the deadlines I'm up against I mean the idea that I would take a day off is an unrealistic expectation God certainly can't have that expectation of me well we'll get to all that in a few minutes but but if it's a little odd for us, imagine how this commandment struck the people to whom it was written at the very beginning. Because the, the Israelites were a 24-7 people. Keep in mind, they had just come out of slavery. They are just coming out of Egypt, and all they've known is serving someone else. And if they were going to have anything personally done for them, they did it after they did for everybody else. They worked as hard as they could for, the, for their masters, and then if they had a little bit of free time, they used that free time to get themselves together, to get their family taken care of, and to get themselves ready. And so this group of people had a very, very strong work ethic, and, and they, they basically were nomads. They didn't really know where they were headed. They're out, and they're... they're <laughs> kind of on the move and on the run and they don't really know where they're going they don't know how long it's going to take there could have been as many as two million of them and then God in all of his insensitivity to say something like hey by the way I want you to take a day off with all that as a backdrop for him to say that almost sounds ridiculous and and you know because to these people you could die taking a day off if you take a day off if you're an Israelite you may not eat if you take a day off and you're an Israelite, you may not have a roof over your head or your kids may not be uh, taken care of the right way. Um, this was a culture where, where that, that if you didn't work all the time, food didn't happen for you. If you didn't work all the time, you were exposed either to the elements or to the dangers of other tribes or other groups. And for God to say, I want you to take a 24-hour period of time off and I don't want you to do any work, that probably came across as unrealistic to them much like it probably comes across to you when I stand up here and say something like that. You know, I think it would be possible for them to say, take a day off. I mean, we're living hand to mouth. This is, you know, this is a day-to-day thing for us. God, you cannot expect us to take a day off. It seems unrealistic. It seems like one of those things like, God, how in the world can you ask me to do that? Might I just throw in at this point that that's very similar to the way we look at tithing, is it not? God, how can you ask me to do that? You don't know what my financial burdens are. You don't know what I'm up against. And so I would point out to you at this point that that the whole taking and and please understand this is not going to be a sermon about tithing I'm not going to take take a sabbath and turn it into a sermon on tithing but I will say that these are very closely linked in how we think about these two things we have the same gut reaction to both we look at both and we say God you're asking me to do this there's not enough 
That's really what we're saying. There's not, I don't have enough time or I don't have enough money. You can't ask me to do these things because you don't understand the world that I'm living in. And God says, hey, look, this is, this is on par with thou shalt not murder with me. This is on par with thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not commit adultery. This is a big deal to me. I want you to take a day off. And so if we are going to be a spiritual people, and again, we talk about looking spiritual versus being spiritual, this is one of those things that you'd say, I don't know that, that that's all that important. God says, you want to be spiritual? You really want to be spiritual? You will begin to focus on taking a day off. And again, we're going to get into what exactly that means as we get a little further on into this thing. Uh, it just didn't make sense to them. Now, fortunately for them, they had just had an experience with God that had kind of set them up to receive this commandment. You see, when they left Egypt, they were about uh, a million and a million and a half to maybe two million strong. And they had been held in captivity for about 400 years. And the whole nation has just left Egypt. Now, here's the question that you ask yourself. If you're going to leave Egypt, and probably you're leaving in a hurry, and there's that many people, how much food can you take? You can only go so far with so much food. I mean, you imagine, I mean, just try and picture yourself in a herd of 2 million people uh, we, this week I was over at the, I went on a field trip with my daughter to the brickyard over to, to Indy. And, you know, we were walking around and they were showing us all the seats. And I just imagined, I knew what we were talking about. And I was, I just imagined, I think they said, they, they don't really even know how many go to the, to the race every year, but, but it could be as much as six to 700,000 people. That doesn't touch what we're talking about with this group of people, huge group of people. And imagine how much food you would have to take to feed them for an extended period of time. Uh, you're going to be on the, mode, on the road, and they've been on the road about three months at this point. Um, and and they're, you know, they're, they're taking care of, of old people, and they're taking care of babies, and they're taking care of, of little kids. And very quickly, they ran out of, out of food, and they began to murmur. And they, 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 you know, they're looking at Moses saying, hey, Moses, what are we going to do? I mean, we, we don't have anything to eat. There's a whole bunch of us and we don't know where we're going. Um, this is, you, know, you can imagine the kind of things that Moses is putting up with. Then one morning, something incredible happened. They walked out of their tents, and on the ground was this crusty, white stuff on the ground. And, and you know, it was everywhere. And as they walked around, somebody picked a piece of that up and looked at it and was hungry enough and had enough nerve to put it in their mouth and break off a piece and taste it and see that, yes, you can eat this. In fact, it's really not all that bad. And they said, it's pretty good. And God's decided at that point to provide for his people manna from heaven. And for three months, this group of people, every single morning, woke up and found manna on the ground. And God said to Moses, I want you to instruct the people that I'm going to provide enough for you every day of the week. Don't take enough today for tomorrow. Go out, and when you pick up manna, pick up just enough for that day. I don't want you to pick up enough for tomorrow. And, and if you do pick up enough for tomorrow, and you don't trust me in this, and you try and gather up enough for tomorrow, when tomorrow comes, what you're going to find out is that the manna you picked up yesterday has worms in it. It's going to be nasty. You're not going to want to, to try it. And sure enough, people didn't believe God. And, and so some people would go out, and they would try and gather up more than they needed for the day. And when the next day came, guess what? They opened up their manna full of worms, and it had spoiled. 
And over time, what God had taught this group was to trust them for their daily bread. Now, later on in the New Testament, Jesus is going to make reference to the daily bread, and when he does, it hearkened all the people of God all the way back to the time when God provided manna for them in the desert. Now, I want to I read for you from Exodus chapter 16. If you've got your Bible, it's just a couple of four, four chapters back. Exodus 16, which is where this story takes place, and let's explain what God had in mind when he gave them the manna from heaven, because this kind of helps us to understand this whole concept of thou shalt take a day off. Exodus 16, verse 26. Six days you are to gather it, the manna, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Now skip down to verse 29. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. In other words, what God did was he gave them a weekly reminder of their dependence on him. And he said, I'm going to give you six days of provision, seven days of provision, and I'm going to do it in six days. You're wondering how I'm going to provide all this? You're wondering where that other provision is going to come from? I'm going to give you seven days of provision, but I'm going to do it in six days. And God was giving them a very visual illustration, and he was saying, the nation of Israel, I want you to be dependent on me. One day you're going to be a powerful nation. You'll have armies and crops and cities. Uh, You're going to be an exporter of goods. Eventually, people are going to come to you, Israel, for all the things that they need. You're going to supply the nations. You're going to be a powerful nation. And I don't ever want you to forget where all of your resources came from. I don't ever want you to forget where you came from. I don't ever want you to forget who's been in charge, who's provided for you from day one. I don't want you to forget that it was me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build into your schedule a day of remembrance a day where you don't do anything, produce anything, work at anything. And on that day, you're gonna remember that in spite of all your wealth and all your resources, it is not because of you, it is because of me. That is what God would say to the Israelite people. That's what God would say to us. And God's saying, I don't want you to fall into a trap of you thinking that you, you have what you have because of your hard work. I don't want you to think that that you have what you have because you're an industrious person and because you've gone out and earned it. Again, if I was going to preach a sermon on tithing, this is the point where I would say, when you look at your money, and I've heard people say, this is mine, I earned it. That's not the way to look at your money. That's not the way to look at your resources or your time. You have to look at those things and say, God provided this for me. And for 40 years, 40 years, every morning, they woke up and found manna on the ground. And they went out and gathered the manna that God had provided for them. On Friday, they would gather up enough for two days. They would gather up enough for Friday, and then they would gather up enough for the Sabbath, which was Saturday for them, and they would have enough. God gave them seven days' worth of resources out of six days' work. God took care of them. They learned to take a Sabbath. Even when you have enough, even when you're in the land, even when everything's going the way it's supposed to go, I want you to take a day off, and I'm going to provide for you in that day off. Don't forget the Sabbath, because this is, the Sabbath is a reminder that you belong to me, and you are to depend on me. Now listen to the extreme to which he took this commandment at the end of verse 10. Um, I guess we should go back to chapter 20. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you that chapter 20 verse 10 
and we're at the end of verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And people hone in on that seventh day thing and they want to make a big deal out of that and we'll talk about that in a minute. That's, I guess that's important, but, but the, to focus in on what day it is is to really miss what God's trying to say and we'll make that point in a minute. Um, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. How many of you have an alien within your gates? Okay. Got some little one-eyed guy somewhere running around your house or what's that like? In other words, don't think, hey, we're Jewish and we can't do it, but we've got these servants that we brought from, from Egypt. Maybe, you, maybe somebody had enough means to bring along a servant from Egypt and they're not Jewish and so it doesn't apply to them, they're thinking, and I'll get them to do the work and I'll benefit from it and, and it'll all work out just the same. I'll just have my alien do it. God says, nope, I don't even want your animals doing any work. I don't want you doing any work. I don't want anybody associated with you doing anything on the Sabbath. I want there to be 24 hours where you say, you know what, I could be working, I could be getting ahead, I could be bettering myself and stacking things up, I could be doing that, but I'm not gonna do that. Now listen to the reason that he wants all of this to happen. In verse 11, this all starts to kind of come into focus. So if we were to ask God, God, what, what is the big deal about this? Why, why is this such a big thing to you? This is what he'd say, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Let's look at it again. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And that would include who? That would include you. That would include me. That would include everything that we have. And God would say, so why are you here? Our answer would be, well, because you made us. Why do you have jobs? Well, because you made them. And why do you have food? Well, it's because you made it. And why do you have opportunities? Well, it's because you provide those for us. And God would say, exactly. Everything you enjoy, everything you have, all the resources that are at your disposal, they are at your disposal because I created all that stuff. All that stuff is coming from me. See, a steward, and forget money right now, just think about your time. A steward realizes that everything he has comes from God. We, we did a sermon series on tithing one time, and I'm probably going to preach that one again before too long, but I had you hold money in your hand, and I said, you know, in your watch hand, and I said, repeat after me. We have a little bit of time and a little bit of money. Those things are given to us from God. Those are resources that he's given to us. And God would say, I want you to, to, to realize that everything you leverage, everything you take advantage of, I've provided it for you. Now look at the second part of verse 11. But he rested on the seventh day, Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This day is a day of rest. It's a day of remembrance. Uh, the day of rest is a day that the nation would stop down and remember and say, you know what? We could be working. We could be making more. We could be building more. We could be all about more, more, more. That could be what we do. But we want to remember. As important as prosperity is, remembering is more important than that. And as important as eating is, remembering who's in charge, remembering who provides for us is more important than that we eat. This was important enough to God to say, look, 
this is the first thing I want you to do. And God said, I'm going to force you to take a day off. I'm going to set up a structure that is going to make you feel like you are falling behind. And I'm going to provide you seven days of provision for six days of work. Now, when you hear that, if you start to filter that through your life and filter that through your responsibilities and your work, uh, you know, if you're like most people, you're thinking, well, that was great for them. You know, I mean, how hard can it be? You're just wandering around in the desert. You don't, they didn't have a cell phone, didn't have a Palm Pilot, didn't have a Blackberry, didn't have email, you know, didn't have soccer for the kids, didn't have Little League, didn't have dance class, didn't have a boss like I've got. You know, I got cell phones and email and Brett, you, you know, for you to try and make the leap from, from that century to this century, it, it's, a, it's a pipe dream. There's nothing, you, you, you might be tempted to say there's nothing that I can take from that and apply it to my life because it's just not going to work. You know what? That group felt the exact same way. By the time the nation of Israel was established, by the time they had cities and families and houses and armies and, and government, they started to look for ways to cheat this commandment. They would get people, other people, to do business for them outside the city gates and then report, to them back, report back to them after the Sabbath to let them know, you know what the sales were. Or, or, you know, they would do commerce outside the city and on the Sabbath with the people that, that weren't maybe Israelites and they would gain the money from they, they were They were automatically trying to figure out a way around this whole system. And that part where it says, you know, there will be no, no alien inside your gates, so they sent the aliens outside the gates and said, okay, go do business for us, and we'll check with you in the morning, and you let us know how the sales were. They felt like they couldn't stop. They felt like if they did, they were going to fall behind. Is that how you would feel? Is that, as I'm talking about this, you think, Brett, you know, that's all well and good, but brother, you, you are not in reality when you talk to me about taking a day off. It's impossible. There were other nations that worked 24-7. There were other nations that were on the ready with their armies 24 hours a day. There were other nations that were doing commerce, that were getting ahead. There were other nations exporting goods to other places. And the Israelites were thinking to themselves, if we take this time off, we are in, in big trouble. And so the idea of taking a day off every week at the, you know, and, and taking my hands off of stuff, and just not doing it. It was di very difficult for them because they were very progress-driven. You and I are progress-driven. And God would say, I'm all for progress, and I'm all for being driven to progress, but I'm more concerned that you put your trust in me and where those two things conflict. I want your confidence in me. Now hear that. I want your confidence in me to take precedent. Do you hear what God's saying? See, this, com this commandment is not about resting. It's really not about resting. This commandment is about whether or not we trust God to take care of us. You know, we can talk about how we love God, and we can talk about how we trust God, but this is a place where God says, I want you to prove it. I want you to prove it really to me, and I want you to prove it to you. Because as you start to prove it to me, what you're going to find out is you give me the opportunity to prove to you that I will take care of you, that you can trust me, that you can depend on me. So I'm instituting a day off for the whole nation. You know what this is? What, what this really is, this is margin. Margin is a thing that we talked about probably three or four years ago. In fact, we've committed, we're gonna uh, not, not 
not next week and possibly not the next week, but in about three weeks, I'm hoping to start, restart the series on margin because what I've learned as we did that the first time is that that probably has, has probably of all the sermon series that we've ever done, that one sermon series has generated more um, tangible life change in the, in the, in the uh, life of this church. And we just decided that we needed to do it again. But that's really what God's talking about here. God is talking about margin. Whether or not you have enough margin in your life. Because margin is very important to God. For me, the way this this pans out is... (laughs) The pressure in my life is this. I basically have an oral presentation every week. I have the pressure of an oral presentation every week. It is amazing with what great certainty Sunday, uh, with what great uh, frequency Sunday rolls around for me, okay? I'm expected every week to have an oral presentation for you that is different from the week before, that is gonna hold your attention, that's gonna teach you something, and man, it just ramps up, and it, 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 it just, it's unbelievable how fast Sunday rolls around for me. But I observe, try to observe a Sabbath. Now, I gotta tell you, this is not easy for me. It's, it's not something that, that I would say I'm really, really good at. It's something that, uh, especially as I preach this to you, it's something that I will concentrate on more uh, as I try to lead you and, and model for you what that looks like. But for me, Sabbath begins pretty much in about two hours. Sabbath begins for me. And from the time I get done on Sunday morning, and see, the thing is, we're not talking about the same day for each of you. I'm not even asking you to do that. I'm saying you identify in your calendar week a 24-hour period of time that you can stop down and you can say, God, I will not work for this period of time. And it's not about me getting ahead or anything else. It's about me trusting you to provide for me. For me, that starts about noon on Sunday. And, and I come into the office on Monday morning, but I'm telling you, honestly, I do very little heavy lifting on Monday morning. Parley can tell you. It's pretty much a, it's a, it's just a, kind of get acquainted with my office again kind of thing it's it's not a real strong thing at all I literally could work around the clock I mean those of you who know me well I have a very good friend that sees my office and they they just they're on me all the time about what my desk looks like they're like Brett that is that is horrible that thing scares me to look at that and I could literally work around the clock and not ever get it all done you probably feel that way you probably would say, Brett, you, you, you think your office is bad. You should see my house. You should see, uh, you should see my, my desk at my office. I, I have books to read. I got emails that, that are flagged that I need to get back to people. I got, there's notes on my desk to call people back. And I'm thinking, man, I need, before I can make that phone call, I've got to kind of think through in my head what that conversation is going to be about so I can have that conversation intelligently. All that takes time. And so you put it off and you don't do anything. Man, it just all stacks up. And as much stuff as I've got, I'm trying to figure out a way to take Sabbath. I've got books that need to be read. I'm trusting God to help me get that done. That stuff that needs to get done for me to look at God and say, God, you know what my world is like. You know that these deadlines are pressing in on me. You know that these things have to happen. But I want to take a period of time and remember that you will meet my needs. You will give me seven days of provision for six days of work. Now, I know what you're saying, but Brett, <laughs> but Brett, you know, you're a preacher. That's different. You know, that, that, listen, this commandment was not given to preachers. This commandment was given to farmers. It was given to technicians. It was given to leaders and artists. 
It was given to people. This principle was not given to, to a group of people that was oriented to a day off. And see, the challenge for you and me is that we live in a culture that is 24-7. Our world never stops. I can send you an email at any time in the day. You can send one to me. You can turn on your television, and it's on at, at any time. If you have cable, it's on all night long. You, you can get in your car and drive on the radio. I remember when radio stations used to shut down at, at midnight. You remember that? They'd play the, the, um, the Star Spangled Banner, and they'd, they'd, they'd sign off. They don't do that anymore. It's a 24-7. You go to, you know, you can go buy eggs in the middle of the night now. It's crazy. I know because I've done that. Um, And so to apply this commandment, you're going to have to be creative. You're going to have to uh, start praying a prayer that sounds something like this. God, I don't even know what this looks like. I mean, Brett talks about this this morning, and it's a completely alien uh, idea to me that I would take a day off with my schedule the way my schedule is. I can't imagine, God, what that's going to look like. I, I, honestly, God, I wonder how you can give me seven days of provision for six days of work. But, but Brett read a scripture this morning, and it's right there in the Bible that you want us to take a day off and that this is really about whether or not I trust you. And God, this is hard for me, but I want to trust you. I want to I say with my life that I serve a God that has the power to give me seven days of provision for six days of work. And the issue is, do you trust God to provide for you? That's the issue. The issue is not observing a commandment. Because see, if you boil it down to, well, I got to do this because it's a commandment, you're missing the point. The point is, do you trust God to provide for you? And that Sabbath does mean rest, but Sabbath really is about God resourcing you, realizing that every day, if it wasn't for God, there wouldn't be a me, there wouldn't be a job, (laughs) there wouldn't be an economy, there wouldn't be the industry that, that you work in. It's a reminder really to trust him with the very practical parts of life. Now here's my challenge. Would you be willing to try and institute Sabbath and observe Sabbath for for 30 days? Would you take the next month and say, okay, even though I'm not even really sure what that's gonna look like, I'm gonna commit a, and, it, and, and you, you get, to, here's the deal. You get to pick the 12 hour, the 24 hour period of time. See, I'm already trying to cheat the Sabbath. You get to pick you get to pick the 24 hours that you're going to observe that. Make it the easiest 24 hours that you can find, but commit to yourself, I will do no work on this day. I'm not going to go into the office. I'm not, I'm not going to work. I'm, this time is, is off limits, and, and I'm going to see if God really does give me seven days of provision on six days of work. And you say, well, Brett, my, you know, my industry doesn't work that way. You know what? The restaurant industry doesn't work that way either. The restaurant industry anymore is a 24-7 industry. I mean, I don't, haven't done this in a long, long time. I did it when I was younger. When I was a youth pastor, I did stuff like this. But um, I'm thinking of a place like Taco Bell. You, I, Taco Bell, for a while, was, was all about, you know, we're, out, we're open late at night. I think Wendy's is open late at night. I'm thinking of these places that, that you can go to them at like 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning and still get something to eat. Even the restaurant industry doesn't really know what it is to stop down, to slow down. Isn't, is Waffle House open all night long? Is Bob Evans open all night long? 
Denny's is, is it not? I mean, see what I'm saying? There are, there are restaurants that, that they're doing commerce the whole time. There's one guy, his name is Truett Cathy. You know, who knows who Truett Cathy is? Truett Cathy owns, I, I just saw some people raise their hand. I, I, hand over our heart. Chick-fil-A. You ever heard of Chick-fil-A restaurants? Truett Cathy instituted, runs, is behind Chick-fil-A. And this morning, if you try to go get a Chick-fil-A sandwich, you cannot get one in any store in America. Now, we don't, am I right about that? Does somebody, yeah, I'm right about, okay, I, I thought so. I thought, oh, gee whiz, my whole illustration just went up in smoke. <clears throat> Some rogue franchisee just took his whole thing, you know, went Sundays and I'm, I'm hosed on the whole deal. But Truett Cathy uh, has these Chick-fil-A stores and if you are gonna franchise one of those, you, you really are committing to giving up your revenues on Sunday because Chick-fil-A is not open. Millions of people will drive, now they're not big up here, but in the South, trust me, Chick-fil-A, huge. And millions of people will drive by Chick-fil-A's today that are closed. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars today will be lost. Revenue that you cannot recover, cannot get back. Because Truett Cathy said, I want to recognize Sabbath in my life. And I want to institute Sabbath for everybody that works for me and everybody that is associated with Chick-fil-A. So when you drive by Chick-fil-A today, think of all the people. You know, I talk about beating the Baptists to the restaurants. Think about how many Baptists could get to Chick-fil-A and how fast they could get there if they were open. hate to offend anybody that's Baptist. It's just my way of just, you know, needle, needle, needle. But they're closed. You can't go get a Chick-fil-A sandwich today. I think Truett Cathy said, you know what? In spite of the fact that I could lose millions of dollars on this deal, I want to prioritize what God says as the most important thing. And I want to say to my employees and I want to say to my family and I want to say to myself, God, I trust you to give me seven days of provision on six days of work. Is it a great business decision? No. Is it a spiritual decision? Absolutely. It is his way to apply principle, the principle of Sabbath. Here's the thing. The breakthrough moments for you at work, those things that you think you control, much of the stuff that, that would, you would boil down to a breakthrough moment for you at work, you have no control over. You, you don't have control over weather. You don't have control over what happens two or three levels above you. You don't have control over the economy. You don't have control over your in, industry. So much of the stuff that, that you would say, well, you know, I've got, I can do something about, you're fooling yourself. Because God controls all that stuff. You don't control any of it. What do you think God might do on your behalf? I had this conversation with someone else about a month ago on a completely unrelated subject, but it applies here. I was trying to, you know, they, were, they were trying to make a decision, and the decision that they wanted to make was, not, was real, just not a godly decision. And I said, look, look at this from the standpoint of a parent. If I've got two kids and I've got $10 that I really need to have taken care of, and I know that if I give it to this kid, he's going to spend it, but I know if I give it to this kid when I come back, I'm probably going to have my $10 back. Which kid am I most likely to bless with the $10? The one that I know is going to do the right thing with it. 
How would God begin to bless your life if you started to look at him and say, God, this is hard for me, and I don't know how you're going to do this, but I'm going to trust you in this thing, and I'm going to trust you to give me seven days of provision on six days of work. I want to declare my dependence on you. You know, I think you could say, as much as I love my company, as much as I love going to work, as much as I love uh, some of the things that I do, I'm going to take one day on a practical level and I'm going to declare my dependence on God. That is what this commandment is about. What if you did that for 30 days? Now, the, the group that I'm not really talking to this morning, because I've got to be honest with you, I, don't have a, <laughs> I do not have a practical answer for this group of people. The stay-at-home moms that are in the crowd are thinking to themselves, right, I'm going to take, 30, I'm going to take 24 hours off. I don't have an answer for that. I really don't have an answer for that. I would say this. I would say that you, be, you need to begin to pray about it. I would say that you need to talk to your spouse about what a 24-hour period of time looks like for you. Don't just say, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and Brett didn't give me an answer, and so I'm just not going to worry about it. No, pray about it. Think about it. Ask God to show you a way that you can honor him and, and stop down and remember and say, God, I'm, I'm really trusting you to take care of these things that I need. Let me ask you this question. If you have a spouse and you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I don't know how I'm going to do it, how would your life be impacted if your spouse honored the Sabbath? What would it look like if he said, I'm not going to work. I'm going to take this time and be home. You know, and, and in that whole thing, help you in some way find some Sabbath. You have to love a God that says, I'm going to prioritize take a day off over thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not kill, and thou shalt not commit adultery. I'm going to skip all that stuff. Don't you love it when the preacher starts skipping stuff? I, I alluded to this a little earlier, but I want to come back to it. I've had conversations with people. A lot of times when you talk about the commandments, people want to get very rigid about the commandment. And they, they want to get really legalistic about, you know, we've got to do it this way because this is what it says and they, they read what it says but they don't hear what's really behind it and they don't hear what it really means you know you, you could look at the commandment of Sabbath and I've heard people get into arguments about whether or not it's Saturday or Sunday in fact I, I had an email exchange with a friend of mine not too awful long ago and he had some family members that were really giving him grief because he came to a church that honored Sabbath as a Sunday and they were really upset with him and didn't like it that he was not coming to this church, but coming to any church that would go to church on the Sabbath day as Sunday. You know what? To, to focus on that is to miss the point of what's going on in this commandment. This commandment is not about the day as much as it is that you say to God, I trust you. I, my life is dependent completely on you. And I, God, I don't know what it's going to look like and, and, and what day it's going to be, but what I want to say to you with my life is I trust you to give me seven days of provision out of six days of work. Now, for some of you in the room this morning, before you can really get to that place, you've got to start at this place. You've got to start at the place where you say, God, I trust you with my life. I trust you to know what's best for me. I trust you to lead me in the way that I need to go. I trust you to be the savior of my soul. 
That's the first step some people need to take. There are people who, who have never looked at God and said, God, I, you know, I've been doing this my way. I'm not doing it my way anymore. I'm going to just, even though I don't even understand all of it, I'm, I'm going to trust you because I have faith that you made me and I have faith that you know how best to order my steps and order my days. And so I want to give all that to you. And I trust you. So this morning as you walk out, this day has not been about a commandment as much as it has been about our willingness and our, our readiness to be able to look at God and say, I trust you. I hope that you're willing to do that this morning with me as we at least try it for 30 days. Let's pray together. Father, you, you, you modeled this for us because when you created, you took time off at the end. You showed us what Sabbath looks like. You showed us through manna in heaven from heaven what sabbath looks like you made provision you somehow you gave seven days of provision on six days work and in that process you you uh, instituted this idea of sabbath and now lord it's our turn to think about how we take this principle and we put it into our life in some way uh, not as some ritualistic legalistic commandment kind of thing where you know we did the commandment and now God's going to be happy with us get us past the immaturity of that God and get us to the real maturity of understanding that when we honor Sabbath in our life we honor you that what we say when we take time off when we uh, accept your invitation to do nothing what we're really saying is God we trust you Lord somebody in this room I just can't help but think uh, needs to do that with their whole life, needs to say, I trust you. I trust what happened on the cross. I trust that Jesus is who he said he was. I pray, Lord, that you would meet us this morning where we are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.